Today's topic is going to be about heaven, glimpses of heaven. We're continuing with our series, and we're coming down to the end. Tonight is the last meeting, and I really want to advise you, please come on out, be blessed. We have a concert at 5.30, that would be an awesome thing to be a part of as well. Uh, The person who's doing that, she's actually blind. And she's going to be sharing some wonderful music from her experience. She's been on TV. I know that you will enjoy that. Speaking of that, I'm going to ask you a question right now. And if you are brave, please raise your hand. Can you please describe to me a certain color? You ready? I want you to describe to me the color magenta. Who thinks they can describe to me the color magenta? Just raise your hand. Okay, Sally, what is the color magenta? Can you describe it to me? Say it a little louder. A blue and red combination. Okay, very good. Anybody else want to take a shot? Yes. Like a pomegranate. Okay, very good. Okay, someone please describe to me the color, color teal. Teal. What is it, Carmen? A blue and green? Oh, I was off on what a teal is then. <laughs> How about you, Millie? What's the color teal? The ocean. Okay. All right, you guys are doing very, very good. Now I'm going to ask you another question. And here's the, the thought experiment. If I was born blind, please describe to me the color red. Some of you guys are naming colors to me. If I am blind, please describe the color red to me. Hot? Your face on a warm day. Okay? I wonder what blind people are seeing in their mind as you're attempting to describe to them the color red. You know, I was watching a video this week, and it was about this blind person who was making, making a remark about how people love to describe colors to them when they have no sense or concept of what those colors actually look like. And this particular blind person was remarking how some people will do senses to describe to them, but it still doesn't define colors to them. They essentially live in a world where they don't have any definitive concept of what colors are. They have senses and feelings, and maybe they may have some kind of tactile touch, but there is no reference point for those colors. You know, ladies and gentlemen... A lot of time we think about heaven. And we come up with all these sort of concepts. But the truth of the matter is, we're so far off about what heaven really is like. And so we'll come up with these phrases and these thoughts and these words. And we're just saying, this is what heaven's like. But in reality, we are so far off. People in heaven are probably just like, oh my goodness. The angels are probably remarking, they are so far off. You know, I was actually preaching at a prayer conference not too long ago. And I was asking people, what is going to be your favorite thing about heaven? And some people were talking about the animals, the brand new animals at their ride. And, you know, one person talked about, you know, getting wings and taking a giant lion and flying off with him. Somebody was talking about how they'll be able to eat the most delicious fruit. And then at the very end of it, I said to them, it sounds like most of you just want to go to Disneyland. And that is the truth of the matter. Most of us, when we're attempting to describe heaven, we're using earthly concepts that you can probably find in some amusement park. 
Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to reevaluate our concepts of heaven because we're going to spend all of eternity there. And when we look at God's word, we're going to find some very deep things about heaven. A lot of people are all about heaven's descriptions, but they miss heaven's dynamics. All about heaven's beauty, but heaven's behavior is far from them. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand what the Bible says about this beautiful place that we're going to be spending all of eternity in. Amen? Amen. All right, everybody. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, something very powerful. I has not what? Seen nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who what? Love him. In other words, there is nothing that we have actually seen on earth that we can use as a reference point to describe what heaven is all about. Just think about it. We have some wonderful pictures up there, and we have this sort of concept of what we may think heaven looks like, but the Bible says, I has not seen nothing that compares to this place. Nor has no ears have ever heard anything that can describe what this is all about. In fact, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gets a vision of heaven. He comes back and he says, look, I heard things that I cannot even tell you about. He even goes as far as says, it's not even lawful for me to talk about it. Eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard. Now watch this. Nor have entered into the heart of man. In other words, in the imagination of mankind. Just think about how zany some of your imaginations are. Mine is really zany. And I come up with some of the most unusual concepts. But the Bible says there has nothing, that nothing has ever entered into the heart of man that could even come close to conceiving an accurate picture of what heaven is all about. And that's why Paul speaks so emphatically and he says, I has not seen nor ears heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who what? Love him. The Bible says this, that God is preparing for us a beautiful city. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16 says this, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called there what? God, for he has prepared a what? A city for them. Now, there's a little bit of information that's given to us about this city. The Bible describes uh, the, the length and the breadth of this city. And when you, come to, when you take a good look at what it says in Revelation chapter 21, it describes the city approximately 375 miles long on each side, the size of several states. Now, many of you guys are thinking to yourself when you look at something like this, wait a minute. Are you telling me all the redeemed are going to fit in there? Absolutely. And here's the sad part of the story, that there's still going to be room left over. That there's still going to be a lot of room left over. Ladies and gentlemen, God is wanting to fill all of heaven. Amen? And he wants you to be there. And as we begin to come to a more accurate understanding about heaven, we're going to be learning some wonderful things about what takes place at the second coming. You know, this week I did a funeral for Mary Yarbrough. You guys know her. Some of you guys were there. And that morning when I was giving a, a little homily about this, I was really impressed with a thought that never really occurred to me prior. Whenever we talk about the second coming, we usually quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from where? From heaven with a what? Shout, right? With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And then it says, and the dead in what? 
Christ shall rise first. This is so awesome when you think about it. In other words, God is not just simply stating, stating, well, here's the sequence in which I'm going to be doing things when I come back. Rather, he is stating his first priority when he comes back. And you know what that is? The resurrection of the dead. Now, just think about this. God has been missing a lot of people. You think about many of the righteous who are going to be alive during that time. They still have a present active communion with God. But many of the people that have passed away like Adam or Abraham, who was even the friend of God, God misses him. And that's why his very first priority, when he comes back, he's like, I'm going to wake Abraham up. I miss that brother. The Bible says he was the friend of God. God misses his friends. And that's why we need to understand something so beautiful that when Jesus comes back, it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us we will get brand new bodies. Can you say amen to that? Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about these brand new bodies. A lot of people think to themselves, wait a minute. Does that mean we're not going to be able to identify one another? That we're just going to be different? Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand something. God will preserve your identity. Amen? He will preserve your identity. Part of the remarkable things that we will enjoy in heaven is brand new bodies, a brand new brain, but the mind itself will still be intact. In other words, if your mind is changed, ladies and gentlemen, you're no longer you. Does that make sense? And if you're no longer you, then you're no longer the person God's trying to save. God is trying to save Anel Kanda. Amen? And I will get a brand new body and a brand new brain. Praise the Lord. But my mind, he will still keep intact. My identity, he will still keep intact. If I lose my identity, I am no longer a Nelkanda. Now, a lot of people say, wait a minute, but I don't want to be thinking about all the horrible things that take place. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's something that you need to truly understand. The Bible says we will recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we can recognize them, we will recognize each other. But what will be done away with? The Bible teaches this, that there should be no more pain. In other words, we have two almost categories of memory. We have a, what we may call, and I'm being very general right now, an intellectual memory. We know all things that have happened in our past. And we have what's called a, a basic like emotional memory, where we still carry certain feelings based upon certain things that have taken place in our life. So a lot of the pain that we have experienced, we will not forget the events that might have led to that, but there will be an emotional healing of those things. And this is one, what, what the, the Bible says, in, excuse me, what education says in 307. This is so powerful. I can't even articulate it as good as this. Every power will be developed. Every capability increased. The grandest enterprises will be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations will be reached. The highest ambitions realized. And still there will arise new heights to surmount. New wonders to admire. New truths to comprehend. Fresh objects to call forth the powers of body and mind and soul. Can you say amen to that? Heaven begins to become more exciting, more real, more actual in our minds when we begin to realize that part of eternity we will be developing 
and growing more and more and more into the likeness of God. Can you say amen to that? I talked about this verse in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west and sit down with who? Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There we'll be able to see really, quick, uh, really clearly from the Bible that there is a recognition of personal identity. Abraham has not stopped being Abraham, but Abraham will have a brand new body. Isaac will still be Isaac, but he will have a brand new body. Jacob will still be Jacob, but with a brand new body. Their identities are preserved throughout, the, throughout all of eternity as well as your identity. Now this is so wonderful right here. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Look what the Bible says right here. To him who loved us and washed us from our what? Sins in his own blood. Now get this. And has made us kings and what? Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and what? Ever. The Bible says that we shall be made kings and what? Priest. But the question a lot of people ask is, when does that actually take place? When does this actually happen? And why priest in one part and why kings in another part? Everybody take your Bible, take a good look at Revelation 20 verse 6. This is describing during the thousand years that we're in heaven, when we're going over the books of the wicked. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first what? Resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Now watch this. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a what? Thousand years. Notice this. The Bible says in the beginning of Revelation, you shall be priests and kings. And the Bible describes during the thousand years that that is when you go through the phase of being a priest. But what's a priest? A priest is somebody who decides in spiritual matters. In other words, there is a spiritual territory you're dealing with. But the next question comes, wait a minute. When does the king aspect take place? Well, the Bible says this right here, talking about after the thousand years and the new Jerusalem after it's descended. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. The glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its what? Light. And get this. And the kings of the what? earth bring their glory and honor into it. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, when God recreates the earth, we get our home back. Amen? We get our home back. There is a reason why God is called the king of kings. There is a reason why he places a crown on you and royal robes is because God has royalty planned for you. Amen? And those who live in the master's house, those who, lives in, who live in the king's house, are royalty. And this is what's so remarkable, ladies and gentlemen. The first phase, we're going to be going through the thousand years as priests because we're going, to be, we're going to be wrestling with God. We're going to be going over the books. And we need to understand what's happening in this whole great controversy with clearer and clearer insight. But the Bible describes the time when that will end. God will finally make an end of sin. And it is after that point that God says, now it is time for you to begin a different phase of your existence. And the Bible describes that throughout all of eternity, we will bring our glory and honor into the king, to see the king of kings. 
we will bring the special things that God has given to us and worship Him in His holiness. Amen? God has so much planned for us, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I think I shared this story a long time ago. And the story, this story has been controversial because people still to this day don't know if it's true. I like stories like that. There's a book called The Mole People. The Mole People. And supposedly, a reporter had heard about this group of people that had developed a community in a New York subway that was abandoned. And so she went to the various authorities and said, hey, I want to go visit these people. Do you know where they're at? And she began to try to do some investigation to try to find out about these mole people. But they, she couldn't find anything. In fact, some of the police warned her, be careful, don't go down there. There's a lot of dangerous people down there. And so what happens is, being an investigative reporter, being very brave, she says, I'm just going to go down there. And she begins to search for several days. And then she comes across a young girl. And she begins to talk to this young girl down in these subways that were abandoned. And this young girl begins to lead her to this mini community that apparently had been operating under this abandoned, in this abandoned subway. And they had various, this sort of uh, skeletal form of a government. And she describes how they were really grungy looking, very dirty, smelling. They were just in their own filth. And she was watching the whole scene and she was talking to them. And there seemed to be this really big guy who seemed to just really uh, be like their, their little dictator, a little tyrant down there. And he was telling people what to do. And there was even some abuse that was reported. In fact, she describes one disgusting scene where one of, the, one of the people were required to go get some food. And she says, where do you get your food? She says, here. And there was this giant hole in the wall. Person stuck their hand in that wall. And all of a sudden, they pulled their hand out and there was this giant rat that was gnawing on it. Man took it, killed it, and they began to eat it. She begins to talk to them and she says something interesting. She says, do you like living like this? And their response was, we love it down here. And she's like, don't you miss warm showers? Don't you miss eating good food? And what was so interesting is that some of the kids that had been raised underground had no concept of what that was. A lot of people, when you talk to them about heaven, it's almost like, no, we like it down here. And the angels of God are like, no, no, no. Do you really understand what's there? And everyone's like, we, we actually like what's here. It's actually good. And the angels are like, no, no, no. You really don't understand what you're missing up there. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand something so powerful. He has a lot in store for us all of eternity. And it is worth it to give your life and to sacrifice for the Christianity. Can you say amen to that? We're going to be learning so much. Everybody take your Bible, Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. We're going to be learning about the nose. The who? The nose. Take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation 21. Last book of the Bible, second to last chapter, Revelation 21, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be learning more about this beautiful place called New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. 
Are we all there? Okay, now I'm going to read it out loud for you guys. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its what? This is after the thousand years. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. Can you tell me one particular no that's in that passage? No temple. Who said that? No temple. No light. Wait, there's no light? There's no need of the sun or moon because the lamb is its light. Any other no's? No what? Yeah, there's no impurities, right? Any other no's? No lie? Any other no's? Huh? I can't hear anybody saying what? All right, Carmen. You're such an awesome Bible student. And I like how you sit across from Millie. There's a little bit of competition there, but that's all right. No person that defiles, right? You know what's so amazing? The Bible gives a bunch of no's in this. In other words, these things that he's giving no's about are things that are generally, get this, are generally barriers. The Bible says there is no temple. And they say, wait a minute, the temple's a barrier? No, it's not. But rather, the temple was set up to deal with the problem of sin. And after the reign of, the, of ju- that judgment during the thousand years, the Bible says there is no need of the temple. There is no need of this kind of intercession that takes place. The temple was set up to deal with the problem of sin. The Bible says the Lamb is the temple. The Bible says the gates are no longer shut. Right? In other words, there's no fear that's there anymore. The Bible says that there will be this light. And there's no need of this sun that goes up and down throughout the, uh, throughout the days. That there will be this forever warm, happy, light atmosphere that's there. And there will be nothing, the Bible says, none of those things that bring pain and death to humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look at the no's that are found in Revelation 21, it is so remarkable because you begin to realize, wait a minute, this place is so wonderful. It's so awesome to think about the splendor and glory that is all there. And then the thought comes, I am not going to get there. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact that you are still alive to me is clear indication God is still working on you. Amen? The fact that you are still here, that you are breathing, and you are at church is clear indication to me the Spirit of God is in the process of preparing you. And heaven's going to be for those who are going to love it. And that's why 
on the Sabbath, above all days, we should take time to just rejoice in the things of God and what God has planned for us. Now, this is so remarkable. When you read Revelation 2 and 3, the Bible describes something wonderful that the redeemed are going to get. It says, to those who overcome, they shall be made a pillar in, in my kingdom. The Bible talks about the, those who overcome, they shall get this. They shall be able to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. But the Bible says this also for those who overcome. Look at this. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him, get this, a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no man knows except him who what? Now this is interesting right here. One day God's going to come to you, and he says, here's a new stone, here's something special for you, and he's going to hand you a stone that has writing on it. Now, what is so remarkable about this, the Bible says that there will be a name on it that only who can understand? You. You know what's so remarkable? That what John was actually borrowing from, John was actually borrowing from Greek custom during that day. And did you know Greek custom, that when you were acquitted in a trial, to know that you were innocent of that crime, they actually gave you a white stone with your name on it. And whenever somebody would say, hey, aren't you the guy that got arrested? Didn't you go to jail for murder? You would pull out that white stone and say, actually, I was innocent. And what is so remarkable, John is using language right here that describes a similar situation or a similar event where God himself will give you a brand new stone with a brand new name on it. Now, in the Bible, did God give brand new names, ladies and gentlemen, to his people? Okay, give me somebody that he gave a brand new name to. Oh, that's what I heard. Oh, okay, okay. Who? You guys, Carmen's talking right now. Excuse me. Sorry, God. Simon Peter, right? Amen. You guys need to be more like Carmen. Anybody else? Abram became who? Abraham, Pat. Sarah became who? Sarai, right? Anybody else? Jacob became who? Israel. Who else? Saul became who? Paul. Okay, now just think about this. Generally to his closest people, he gave brand new names. Now here's what's so wonderful. What was the name based on? Their character. Their names were based on their character. Simon was given the name Peter, which was like a little rolling stone. Abram was given the name Abraham, which meant father of nations. Jacob was given the name Israel, because he was someone who wrestled with God and prevailed. Ladies and gentlemen, that stone's going to be based on your character. And some of you guys are going to get names, like Caterpillar. It's <laughs> a good laugh right there. <laughs> What's your name going to be based on? Hopefully it's in a positive sense. I don't know. There's, I haven't studied out much further. But ladies and gentlemen, while we are still alive, there is much that we can do through the blood of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope to God that I get an awesome name like Powerful Man or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. You know, like something really cool. I hope I don't get something like Jellyfish or something like that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but here's the thing. You guys are laughing, but some of you guys are going to get some funny names too. But what is so remarkable about this is that this is something that you and him only know about.
It's almost as if it's some kind of intimate name that God knows something and you know something itself. You know, we talk about people who have disabilities and we say, yeah, there are those people who have disabilities. But you want to know the truth of the matter, ladies and gentlemen? We all got disabilities. We are all special. You know what I mean? Each one of us has a problem of sin. And each one of us has a particular challenge and something that we constantly fail at. And God is calling us to overcome in that particular area. And I personally believe that it is upon that area in which God will tell us that special name, the weakness that gets us so much. God knows about our challenges. And he is promising you power and grace to overcome those things that are preventing you from him. Amen? The Bible talks about this. This is so remarkable right here. When you think about uh, the wise men, I'm going to be preaching a sermon pretty soon about the wise men. I really love the wise men story right here. And what is so remarkable, you have these magi that were following the star. And they were following this star, and it led them straight to Israel. And from Israel, from within Israel, they were led straight to Bethlehem to where the young king was. And what is so awesome, ladies and gentlemen, is that the wise men take off. We don't know the rest of their story. The Bible doesn't say what happens. Sure, you can watch some Hollywood movie and, you know, they have names and stuff like that. But there's nothing in the Bible about what happens to these wise men. All we do know is that they worshipped God. They worshipped the king when he was just a young child. And that was the end of their story. I believe they're going to be in heaven one day. But what is so awesome, the Bible describes in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, a particular scene one day when we get to heaven right there, and it says, one will say to him, to Jesus, what are these wounds between your arms? Or in some translation, what are these wounds within your hands? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my what? Friends, apparently some people are going to get to heaven who didn't know the rest of the gospel story. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to break down the rest of the gospel story. They're going to be so shocked when they get there, and they're going to be like, why do you have marks on your hands? When everybody else is perfect, when everybody else has no blemishes, no scars, no imperfection, when you look at this beautiful, pure world that we now live in with order and form and symmetry, why is it that when we're looking at you, we see imperfection? And then what Jesus does, he begins to share the rest of the story. The Bible described Abraham as the friend of God, and his descendants were the Jews. It was the Jews, the very people Jesus came to save, who crucified him. And he will share the rest of the story. Can you imagine that day when you're there, you're just walking by, and you see Jesus right here, and he's speaking before these wise men, and he's like, they're like, wait, what are those things in your hands? And he says, sit down, I'm going to share with you the rest of the story. And I want front row tickets right there, ladies and gentlemen. I want to hear Jesus explain the rest of the story. And can you imagine when these wise men hear the rest of the story? I can just imagine a moment where they just stand up and just like, 
Oh my goodness. This is so amazing. I never fully understood this. What depths of love. And they will be so blown away, ladies and gentlemen, as the rest of the story begins to play out. And what is so remarkable is that we're going to hear the rest of our story as well. When we learn about all the various factors and variables that God put into our pathway that led us closer and closer to him. He's going to bring to us people who were praying for us. Grandparents before we were even born who prayed for their grandchildren. He's going to bring them to us and say, because of their prayers is why you are here. Can you imagine what the rest of the story is going to be with your life? Can you imagine how intricate and how intertwined the story of humanity really is? When we begin to see and understand the rest of the story, ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine what God did through your life after it passed away? Can you imagine the story of Elijah? Or not Elijah, Elisha when he gets to heaven? And here he is. And he's talking to Jesus and he's saying to him, you know, Lord, I didn't get translated like Elijah. Can we talk a little bit? He's like, how come I didn't get translated like Elijah? And I imagine God just saying to him, Elisha, there's some things you don't know. He's like, what? He's like, you're a special person. How many people could say that after they were dead and their body decomposed, that anyone who touched their bones was resurrected. You were still doing miracles after you were dead. And you know the story of Elisha. He was, just, he was buried in a tomb. He was dead. And one day somebody begins to put somebody, some other person, a dead person, in that same tomb, and they accidentally touch the bones of Elisha, and they wake up. Can you imagine when Elisha hears the rest of the story and is like, What? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine when Abraham or Adam wakes up and he sees his multicolored descendants of shapes and sizes and he's like, that came from me? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we will marvel in the beautiful stories that are there when we see when God brings the rest of the story home. Ladies and gentlemen, eternity is something to look forward to. Eternity is something to look forward to. But there is something we also need to grapple with. We hear about these terms, weeping and gnashing of teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And generally with the people with the medieval understanding of God's justice, they tend to describe God as burning people for all of eternity, the wicked for all of eternity. But when you came out to the seminar, you found out that wasn't true. You found that God doesn't burn people for all of eternity. That there's this accountability that takes place and God blots out their existence afterwards and they no longer exist. Ladies and gentlemen, what is so interesting is the Bible actually pinpoints what causes the most amount of pain for the wicked. Look what the Bible says right here. Luke 13, verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Almost like this regret. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, now watch this, and yourselves thrust out. In other words, what causes that agony and pain is not just a reflection of the things that they did, but they themselves will see New Jerusalem 
and they will see so much light and so much bliss and so much happiness. They will see the patriarchs there and they will say, I learned about that guy. And they will see themselves out. In other words, the greatest regret that comes to the wicked is realizing what they could have had and how free it really was. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven is cheap enough. Can you say amen to that? Heaven is cheap enough, and God wants his people there. The Bible talks about some of the food that we eat. It describes the tree of life, that 12 manner of fruits, one for each month. And what is so remarkable, that the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. In other words, all the various cultures and ethnicities will gather around to partake of the tree of life. And as they do it, there will be some sense of healing, a reconciliation of a sin-fractured humanity. And there will be healing in the differences of humanity. And what is so remarkable, the Bible describes this fruit as being the fruit that gives eternal life. And we always think about that and we marvel. And sometimes you hear these evangelists talk about these giant fruits, I've done that. But think about that day when you actually eat of it. And you eat, and as you're partaking, you feel this vitalizing energy. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like, ladies and gentlemen? But what is even more remarkable than that moment when God gives you this fruit, is look what the Bible says right here. Blessed are those servants, in Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and will have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Ladies and gentlemen, as we are seated at this heavenly banquet, we're going to be so blown away when the king shows up. And just sitting there, he puts on this apron. And he himself begins to serve us. Can you imagine that? The king of the universe. The God of all existence. The one who breathed worlds into existence. And here he is. Girding himself in a towel. And humbly serving his people. Ladies and gentlemen, over and over again, we will get the thrill of love over and over again. It will come upon us like waves of life. And as we are just constantly seeing the love of God, the humility of God, more and more, our hearts will yearn to be closer and closer and closer and closer to God. Can you say amen to that? This is so beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. God wants us to understand something so powerful here. God has an eternity for us. Amen? I love what this is right here in the book, Faith I Live By. Our lives may seem a tangle. Your life seems like a tangle. God understands. But as we commit ourselves to the wise master worker, he will bring out the pattern of life and character that will be to his own glory. And that character which expresses the glory character of Christ will be received into the paradise of God. A renovated race will walk with him in white, for they are worthy. And as through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. Heaven begins here. We respond to his invitation. Come. Learn of me, and in thus coming, we begin life 
eternal. Heaven is a ceaseless, and this is the core of what makes heaven heaven, ladies and gentlemen. It is a ceaseless approaching to God, the infinite one, going deeper to new heights, new depths, new breadths of understanding more and more about who God is. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God. The Bible says in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life. This is eternal life that we know him and Christ Jesus whom he has sent. Heaven is more than just a place, ladies and gentlemen. Heaven is a person, and that's Jesus. And by getting to know Jesus now, you're getting ready for heaven. end with this illustration I'm going to make an appeal when you read the Bible in Luke, the gospel of Luke the Bible describes the story of this son who lived in a house and one day this son said I'm done living here and so he takes off with his father's good his father's goods and takes off and the Bible says he wasted it with prodigal living until he was just left a complete wreck. The Bible says when he came to himself, he said, I'll go back home. I'll go home and I'll beg, I'll plead with my father and I'll say, just take me as one of the servants. I'm not worthy. And so he begins to make the long journey back and still a long way off as he's making his way back. The Bible says the father saw him far away because he was looking every day for him. And he goes out running and he embraces his son, weeps because he's home. And ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to think about this story, some of you begin to think about some of the experiences you've had with your own parents. This week, as I was contemplating the prodigal son story, I realized there was a story in my own life, experience one day when I got so angry with my dad. And I said, I'm not going to be here anymore. I took off running. I left. I stayed with my friend. I thought, my dad doesn't care. And that whole night, I didn't sleep. Just full of anxiety. I said, you know what? I'm going to go home, pick up a few of my things. And as I go home, both my parents are sitting on the couch. As they're sitting on the couch, they ask me to sit down. And my dad begins to talk to me. And let me know that he missed me. And then he does something, and this is my dad who really didn't do too much of these kinds of things. He stands up and he embraces me. And as he's hugging me, I never forgot this moment. This was the first time I saw this happen. My dad began to weep. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think about this, think about our heavenly father who has more love for humanity than an earthly father could 
more love than any human relationship could ever give. When one sinner returns home, a place is made ready for them in heaven. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns from their way. The angels rejoice, but the one who rejoices more than all is the Father in heaven. The last few weeks we've been doing this evangelistic series and there's been a few people here who have made some decisions for baptism. I'm going to invite them up to the front real quick. If that was you, if you made some of the decisions for baptism, I want you to come up to the front right now and I want you to see what has made heaven rejoice recently. I want you to come up to the front if you've made that decision. Pastor Ted gave a wonderful appeal. And the appeal was for people to come home to Jesus. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people here who God is calling as well to make a similar decision because they haven't made that decision. And if you're somebody who has been sensing Jesus calling you home, ladies and gentlemen, now is the time to make that decision. If there's anybody here who wants to say, I want to be baptized in the near future, or I want to be rebaptized, this is the time to come up to the front. God is calling us, amen, to make these decisions now. We are not promised tomorrow, but God is calling us to come to him just as we are. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you are born of water and of the spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. God wants to make heaven a greater reality to you, but he calls you to come to him. Is there anybody else today who says, I have sensed God speaking to me this week. I have spent, sent, uh, sensed him speaking to me during this series. Through his providence, he has brought me here. And I sense him calling me. Is there anybody else today who wants to say, you know what? I want to come forward. I'm willing to make this decision for Jesus. He died for me. And I want to follow him. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.